years ago, me and Pastor David were licensed into the ministry of the gospel here at the church. And, um, you know, we were talking about that. And then it was like a, I was looking back. It was like a year later, around about a year later, when uh, the church ordained me as a, an el- one of the elders of the church. And, um, yeah, that was, that was it's, it's a really, it's just really cool to be able to look, at, look back on God's grace and how he's worked in us over the years. Because, oh, man, I look back at year one and, uh, you know, there's just so many things that I would do differently now, right? But um, why do I bring that up? Why do I bring up this ordination and all that? Well, me and my dad go to this Bible study, this little men's group on Friday mornings, and he, he brought that up as a, as a praise report. And then he said, you know, the guys are kind of joking, you know, they're kind of going back and forth about that. And he was like, yeah, there for a while, we weren't sure what was going to happen with him. You know, like uh, it was, he had us, he had us wondering, you know, and uh, it's funny. Like it's, it really is funny. Most of y'all didn't know me 15 years ago whenever God saved me. But um, my early 20s was, was not a very Christ-like time in my life. Um, but in spite of those things that I was doing, God saved me. And it was, uh, it, it's, such, it's such an amazing thing to be able to look back, and, and we know our lives, we know the lives we live, uh, but to, to know the things that I intentionally did and how God's sovereign hand was at work over that, and in spite of my best efforts to selfishly indulge, uh, he brought me to him, to himself, and showed me who he was uh, truly. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to look at that and see our sins are many, but his mercy is more, right? It, it is, um, there's nothing like it, it especially when it's, it's personal. Man plans his steps, but the Lord directs his path, amen? Now, one of the things that really sticks in my mind when I think about that was the stress I caused my parents. Uh, you know, just, just being a young and dumb, you know, just doing all kind of stuff. But the one thing that I, that I know for sure, I didn't ask my parents about this, but being a parent now and looking forward to the days that, that my kids profess faith in Christ, um, I, I, can, I think I can confidently say this, that going through hell for your child to get a glimpse of heaven and truly see Christ for who he is, is, is worth it, right? To be able to go through those things and to see your child just doing foolish things in their life, but ultimately to see God's hand at work and for him to call him to himself you do it all over again if it meant that God called them to himself, right? For, for us to be brought out of darkness and into his marvelous light is the greatest gift that we can ever have. And some of y'all today, that's your story as well, right? I mean, that's mine. Uh, some of you were, were more, I guess, um, God saved you at a younger age. Um, but for me, it was, like I said, mid-20s. And when I think about that, it's just, it's just a wonderful blessing to know that in spite of who I was, God, God still did a, a wonderful work, a, a gracious work within my heart. And, and as I think about that, through, through all of life and the things that we go through, the good, the bad, ugly, the terrible, in spite of all of that, right, when I think about who God is, not only to me, but the way he's revealed himself in his word, God is always faithful. Always faithful. I, I'm not, you know, i one day I'm, I'm happy, next day I'm sad, one day I'm bitter and angry. Uh, this morning, right, I don't have to bore you with any more stories, but we got stuff going on in the house, and I'm like, really, I'm preaching this morning. But then it's like, hey, you're preaching on this, <laughs> you know? The stress is like, that's, yes, we give it to him, we look to him. He is, he is the one that's faithful. And so 
we, we know this to be true. Like, if anyone was to ask you, hey, is God faithful? Is God true? Is, is he steadfast in the midst of trial? We're all going to say yes, right? But when we go through those things is where that's really tested. Um, but like I said, we know it. I know it. And David, right, what we'll see in our passage today, he knows it very well. And so with that in mind, we're going to look at our, our seven verses for today. And we got three main points. And I try to use alliterations if I can to make it a little more easy to remember. So we've got three Ds this week. Uh, we've got deliverance, dependence, and dedication. Deliverance, dependence, and edu- uh, dedication, not education. Uh, so we're going to look at the deliverance by God of Dave, uh, for David. We're going to look at our dependence on God and then the dedication that God has for his people. All right, we're going to talk about deliverance, dependence, and dedication. So... With that in mind, let us go ahead and read our passage, 2 Samuel 22, 1 through 7. This is the word of the Lord. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior, you save me. From violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I called. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. That is the word of the Lord. Let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless our time together. Heavenly Father, we just, we thank you, Lord. Um, it is so easy to focus on the things that are seen and not on the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are unchanging. Your love, your protection, your guidance, your care, your plan for our lives. Um, Lord, may your word, which is true, sanctify us today. May it go forth and do what it's intended to do. For this is your time for your people, and I am your willing instrument Uh, this crooked stick that you write straight lines with. Uh, May you be glorified in this time. May we worship you in spirit and in truth. Uh, May we be edified, convicted, whatever you see fit, Lord, for us in this time. May this be the desire of our hearts and what you do for us in this time. Name is we pray. Amen. Got some sniffles this week. And it doesn't matter how much medicine I took this morning. A little drip, so just bear with me if you will. So first we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. This is where we're going to see God's deliverance for David from all his enemies and Saul. Right, I, I want to reread verse 1 just to kind of reread it. It says, and David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So I kind of put a stress there to, to speak to that in just a second, but First of all, we have to remind ourselves or what we see that this is, an, this is a song. David wrote this song. Eventually, it would, become, it would come to be known as Psalm 18, right? If you go read Psalm 18, you can compare them verse by verse. And there's here and there, there's words that are transposed or a couple of things are translated differently. But it's, it's basically the same, uh, the same psalm right there. But the thing that I wanted to, to kind of mention as a side note uh, that, that really convicted me was the fact that as David's writing this, he's saying that 
God delivered him from the hand of all his enemies, right? That's one category, and from the hand of Saul, right? Th these are two different categories that he's putting these people in. He, David never considered Saul one of his enemies, ever. Now, I, I think if we think about the things that Saul did to David, the things he attempted to do to David, um, I'll be the first to admit, if any of you ever throw spears at me, or try to throw these hands at me, uh, probably not gonna be friends after that, right? I mean, just realistically, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like David, right? In this moment, having somebody throw spears, attempting to kill you, put you on the run, that's just not, I'm not, at least in the flesh, I'm not built that way. That's not, I'm not very forgiving when it comes to something like that. But God did a mighty work in David's heart, right? To, to allow him to see King Saul never as an enemy. He, he never saw David, or excuse me, King Saul as an enemy. And, and we don't have time to spend all our time there because this could be its own sermon. But I want us to think about that a little bit, right? King Saul, the one who had everything at his disposal, did everything in his power to try to take the life of David. Now, how many people in your life that, let me see, or let me re repeat that. How many of you have people in your life that speak of you as if, they were your enemies, right? How, how many, excuse me, how many people do you have in your life that you speak of as if they're enemies, right? If you're talking about your spouse or your kids or your in-laws, right? Like a lot of times I, I've heard plenty of these conversations where they're just like, oh, if you just knew this person, right? They speak of them in the ways of if they're, they're enemies. Um, and like I said, I've, I've heard plenty of it. And sometimes I'm like, wow, with... Uh, Friends like this, who needs enemies, you know, with the way that people speak of each other. It's, 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 not, it's, it's not very Christ-like, right? Um, but isn't that how we react in, in these situations and when we're, people are opposed to us, when people don't have our best interests in mind, when they seem selfish when it comes to things that we need? That's the way we think of them as, as enemies, but like I said, I don't think I, I think I could vouch for most of us to say we haven't had anybody throw spears at us on a regular basis and then chase us out of our hometown uh, in the in the in the hopes of killing us. Um, but David, David did, and in these moments, he never thought of Saul as his enemy. But who were his enemies? Right, that that was Saul. Right, God delivered him from Saul. So who were his enemies? Well, we see this throughout First Samuel and Second Samuel. We can start in 1 Samuel 17. This is when we see the Philistines are the enemies of David. This is where we hear about David versus Goliath. That's where this uh, story transpires. Um, and, and obviously, we know how that one ends. But they don't go away after that, right? They flee for a little while. But like most things in life, right, you get rid of them and they, they tend to make their way back. Weeds, different bugs, whatever, right? You get rid of them for a little bit, then they somehow find their way back. And that's what happened with the Philistines. We see... In 1 Samuel 21, just four chapters later, uh, King Achish is the one that is seeking to take David's life. But in that moment, David, like, freaks out, starts spitting up and doing all, like, literally acting crazy. And David and, and King Achish is like, you know what? It's not even worth taking his life. Just send him out of here, you know. And, and so he's delivered from that hand of that enemy. By 2 Samuel 8, we get an, an, an account of David's victories over, over many people groups, not only the Philistines, but also the, the Moabites. And I was reading over this passage because I was like, man, I don't remember us preaching here, but I, I think it may have been one of the weeks that, that we were out of town at, at, a, at a different church. 
But in verse 2, when it speaks of this victory over the Moabites, he made the, the troops line up in three lines. Two of the lines he, he killed, and then one line he made their servants. Right, So he has victory over the Moabites. Then as we go down a little further to verse 12, we read that David was also granted victories over the Syrians, the Edomites, the Ammonites, and the Amalekites. Right, All this is, is in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 8. And then you just keep reading two verses later, uh, the, the, the author of this book ends up saying this in the second half of verse 14. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Right, Anywhere David placed his feet, anywhere he took his troops, anywhere he went, he was victorious. Right, And, and when we think about that, when we think about David being this Christ-like figure from the Old Testament, right, he foreshadowed what was to come ultimately in Christ. Um, what we can see is that David points to a greater reality in, in our Savior, right? And so I want to look at some of our Savior's words in Matthew 16 to see how this correlates or applies to us today. Uh, this is in, in Matthew 16, verses 17 and 18. This is a familiar passage with us, I'm sure. Jesus is talking with his disciples. They're asking who he is, and he, or they're, they're asking, like, you know, John the Baptist, are you Elijah, are you this and that? Well, who do you say that I am, right? Who, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up on behalf of the apostles and says, well, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And then we get this in verses 17 and 18. Listen to what it says here, and, and we'll, we'll get the context of David. It says, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Right. When I remember hearing this verse growing up, I always thought about the gates of hell. Maybe this is just me, but I always thought of the gates of hell as this like front that was coming forth to uh, fight against the people of God and we could withstand it. But that's not what these verses are saying. Right. What it's telling us is the gates of hell aren't fortified well enough to stop the gospel from going forth and doing its intended work. Right. So when the gospel goes forth, the defenses of the enemy cannot withstand the light that is our savior, right? When, when light shines in darkness, it shines brightest. And, and that's, that's what the gospel does, right? It's the gospel that is the power of God to salvation for all who will believe, right? First the Jew and then the Greek. But th that's the gospel message. It doesn't matter who or what is opposed to the message of Christ. God's will will be done. Amen? Just like with David, right? When he went forth, God told him to go. He went and he saw victory everywhere he went. Right, we as his people today, we are to take that gospel message wherever we go, and the intended result is the intended result. Right, as we are faithful with the gospel, some people hear it, it falls on fertile soil, some people hear it, and it falls on rocky soil. We don't determine that, right? But when God's word goes out faithfully, it's 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 a victory for God's people because the gospel message is being proclaimed. Now, when we think, going back to David, when we, when we see God had sent David to conquer these people, something that we have to keep in mind that relates to what we're talking about is that God didn't only grant David military intellect and great strategy and, and strength and, and confidence and morale. It wasn't just those things that, that saw fit that David was given victory. It's not just these physical things. But the hand of Almighty God went before him, was behind him, and was with him to ensure victory would be the Lord's, right? That, that's where the power lies. God's will was to be done in those moments. And so why did God do this for David, right? If we think about why, what makes David special? Uh, well, David tells us what makes him special. 
in this moment. He says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies, right? There's lots of personal, well, there's a couple of personal pronouns and then lots of, uh, what's the word, adjectives that are possessive, right? This is David talking about what, what, it, what belongs to him or what, what is his, right? What is God? Well, what he is telling us, he's telling us about this personal relationship that he has with the Lord, right? It's, he, God is not only the rock and the fortress and the deliverer, right? He's not just abstractly those things, but he is my God, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, right? The one in whom I take refuge. He's my shield. He is the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold and my refuge and my savior, right? That's who he is. He's, he's, he's mine, right? I am his and he is mine. He is my God and he knows me. He knows me, right? I, I don't think we think about that enough. He not only knows the hairs of my head, but he knows me. Everything about me, he knows. The good and the bad, the thoughts that are going through my, he knows me better than I know myself. And guess what? David understood that. David, that's what David knew, right? That God knew him. That, that's the greatest, you are my God. That, that's, all, that's all I need to know. If, if, if I can know one thing in this life is that he's my God, right? He's not just a God that's out there ruling over his creation. He's my God, right? And, and I, when I think about that, I ask myself, and we should ask ourselves this question, do we understand that? Is that something that we think about, that he is your God, that he is your fortress, he is your savior, he is your redeemer, right? That, that he, that's who he is. If you have called upon his name, that's who he is for you. And when I, you know, I, I was thinking about David, right, and, and him being called a man after God's own heart. And, you know, there's, there's lots of talk about what that means. And, and a lot of it is, is great. One of the things that, that came to mind for me as I was reading about it and, 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 and thinking about who, what, what makes him a man after God's own heart, I, th I think part of it is the fact that David not only had a profound love for God, right, that he just, he was filled with joy in knowing the Lord, but he knew God's goodness profoundly. Like, it, it, he, he knew his love greatly. This love that God had for him is beyond measure, right? And, and so I, when, I, when I think about that, right, then I guess another way to say this is not only did David know that he loved God greatly, but he knew deep down that God loved him, right? To know that you are loved is, is a beautiful thing, right? We all love somebody, right? We all love somebody. All of us love people, uh, some more than others. But to know, it's, it's, well, let me say this, it's an entirely different thing when you're loved by someone, right? It's one thing to love someone and to be able to do things for them and show your affection, but to truly be loved by someone it, it just, it goes deeper, right? As the kids say, it hits different when we think about God's love for us. It's an entirely different thing to know without a shadow of a doubt that you are loved. 
To know someone's heart is to know their deepest desires. And God's desire for David was pure, holy, perfect. David knew this. He believed it and trusted God because of it. Right? When he thought about who God was, he knew who he was as far as a man could know. Um, and, and that's what he trusted in, who God was and how he loved him. And like I said, going back to this thought, like how often do we think about God in this way? Right? If we think about God and his attributes, the way that he's revealed himself to us, if God is eternal, right, his, his attributes, the way he interacts with creation, these aren't new things for him. He's, this is who he is, right, from eternity past to eternity future. He doesn't change. And so if God loves us, there was never a starting point for his love, and there's never an ending point for his love either, right? It's, 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 it's never ceasing. That's the type of love that, that God has. We Right. You know, we normally go to one donut shop for breakfast in the mornings on Sundays, uh, but they didn't have some of the stuff we wanted. So we left and went to another one. Right. I, I don't love that donut shop. I, I mean, I love what the food they have, but if they don't have it, we're going somewhere else. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm that's how I am. I'm not I don't love them enough to just buy something else. Right. Um, but God's love isn't fickle like that. He doesn't love us on our best days and then not on our worst days or it, it doesn't change from day to day. That's that's not the God that we serve. And I don't think we, we think about that enough, who God is and the way he loves and how he knows us completely. Now, one thing that I wanted to mention, this is a phrase that we've all heard, right? Uh, the only two guarantees in life are death and taxes, right? Those are the only two things you can count on in life is death and taxes. But if we really think about it, God's word is even more sure than those two things, right? Because you, you may get away scot-free one year and not pay taxes or be exempt or whatever, right? And, and God may call you home before you experience death. Uh, but the one thing that is always true, that's always consistent, that's always something to count on is God and his word. Now, if these words that David has spoken are true about him in a very real and spiritual sense, right, they are true about you as well. So if you are the one who has called upon the name of the Lord, the Lord is your rock and your fortress and your deliverer. He is your God, your rock in whom you take refuge. He is your shield and the horn of your salvation. He is your stronghold and your refuge, your savior. He saved you from violence. You call upon him who is worthy to be praised and you are saved from your enemies. Amen. But it doesn't stop there, right? That is the deliverance of the Lord. But David also speaks of his dependence upon God. Now let's read verses 5 and 6 and look at that. It says, For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of shale entangled me, and the snares of death confronted me. Now when I read this verse, the verses that kind of come to mind are in Psalm 23, right? Um, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? That, that's the kind of thought that goes through my head, my head when I read these verses. And since this is a song that David is singing, right? He said, David spoke to the Lord these words of this song. This is poetic language that David's using, David's using right? So there weren't actual waves or torrents uh, or cords or snares. There, there wasn't literal things like this. But we know poetically, right, in the midst of battle while he was on the run from Saul, this is how he felt, right? Th these are the feelings he was experiencing. Emotion, emotionally, he felt 
the waves and the torrents, the cords and the snares of, of shale, right? He felt all these things. Uh, that, that's, that's the feeling he experienced, right? And I think we can relate to those types of feelings when we go through things in our lives, right? The struggles, the suffering, you know, how am I going to pay this bill? Or when am I ever going to get well? Or why does this person never seem to change? Or, or whatever the case may be, there's all kind of issues emotionally, spiritually that we go through, uh, through this life. Now, um, oh, and I'm sorry. And, and we go through those things and we end up feeling helpless or defeated or crushed, right? Uh, we don't know when it's going to end or if there's any, if there, or if there is any end inside or if this is just the way life is going to be forever, right? We tend to go through those types of emotions, right? You just want it to end. You just want peace. <clears throat> now, thinking about that and going back to the actual context of what David's speaking of, right? We're, we're kind of making applications. This isn't literally what's going on for David. David is talking about battles that he's going through and people actually trying to kill him, right? So that, that's, the, that's the direct context, but I think if we are trying to apply this to us today, what the reality of David's emotions, right, the things that he's feeling in this time, we think about ourselves in, in this sort of way. So when we think about the, the snares and the waves and, and all of these things, who, who is our enemies today? What are the things that we battle against uh, on a daily basis? Well, it's sin, Satan, and the flesh, right? Scripture teaches us in, in Ephesians 6 that we do not war against flesh and blood, right? That's not our battle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. That's, that's where the battle lies, right? It's not with this individual I'm looking at. It's the, the, the sin nature and desires of their flesh that war against the things of God. That's, that's where the issue lies, but the thing is, if, if we recognize that the wages of sin is death, and before God saved me, that's where I was. The waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of shale entangled me, and the snares of death confronted me. That's, that's what, what's in store for everyone who just does not, who refuses to bow the knee to Christ, right? If, if my life is like, you know what? On my deathbed, I'm, that's when I'm going to make this confession and I'm going to get into heaven, right? If I, I enjoy my life too much, I'm not a bad person, I think my good outweighs my bad, if that's kind of the mindset, or, you know, I do enough good things in this life where God is going to just, you know, I, I think I'm a morally upright person. Those types of mindsets, those types of people, these things are in store for them because they have not put their trust in Christ. So for those types of people, right, for those people, this is their current reality. And it's, it's a terribly sad thing to be deceived into thinking you can do it on your own. Or you're too far gone that, that God isn't willing to save you. Either, either one of those categories is terrible to find yourself in. But when we think about those people, the unbelievers at this point, right? Someone in a false religion or someone who has no religion whatsoever. Uh, we had a conversation with some, some friends of ours here at the church about this uh, conflict they were going through with, with co-workers where they were just like um, really ragging on them for their faith, right? And, and when we think about these types of people that are at, at, at enmity with God, they have this built-up animosity against God. This is the reality for them. Death is crouching at their door, right? If, if they were to lose their life today, where are they going, right? Where, where are they headed to? Right now, if they have not bowed their knee before God, they are not trusted in Christ, this is what's in store for them. And, and, and how sad is that? 
right? Um, now, I know we all have people who have hurt us, who have wronged us, who have swindled us, or actively just in denial about the things that they've done against you. All of us have different stories in our lives, or you have family members that they've sinned against in, in horrible ways. There, there's lots of stuff like that going on. Um, but to, to know that this is what's in store for that person, it should, it should bring about some compassion, right? Now, I'm not trying to invalidate the feelings that you feel for these people wronging you, but I think it's important for us to, to understand like what's in store for them and where we were before God saved us. Because his word tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, right after it talks about all these people will not inherit the kingdom of God, the sexually immoral, the prostitute, the homosexual, the what it, this long list, liars, and all these other people, it, it lays out in, the, in verses 9 and 10. But then it says this, right? He's speaking to the church. But such were some of you, where you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Right? That's where we were. We may not have sinned in the same way that they sinned, but our sins are still violations against God's law. And God is a holy and just God, and he will not let any sin go unpunished. And so, yes, some sins are more heinous this side of heaven than others, but all of them are violations of God's law. Right? And so all of us stand equally guilty before God. But just like that song we sung, his mercy is more, right? God's mercy is that great equalizer. That, that's what shows us who we are as sinners, right? When he opens our heart, changes our eyes, our ears, and we see who we are as these terrible sinners, and we call upon his name for mercy, right? We ask him for mercy. He doesn't have to do it. He doesn't owe us anything, but he does it because he wants to. And, and that's the only difference. We're forgiven. That's, that's the only difference between the believer and unbeliever is forgiveness. <clears throat> I think that's something we should praise God for, right? That, that deserves amens, praise, hallelujah. It deserves all of that. Praise God for his glorious grace. Um, because apart from it, we would all get what we rightly deserve, right? None of us deserve entrance into God's gates, right? We don't, we, none of us deserve that. But God in his grace saw fit that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, because of his grace, we get to see, right, we've seen his deliverance, we've seen his de our dependence upon him. Now, because of his grace, we get to see his dedication on full display in, the, in this final verse. Let me look at, let me read that for us. It says this in verse 7. In my distress, I call upon the Lord. To my God, I called from his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. Now, this, I don't know if this is my favorite verse. I like all of them. God's been really helping me with, with these verses today, but I really enjoyed this verse. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. Right? In my distress, I called upon the Lord. Right? I, I think that's, we need to let that sit in a little bit, right? In my distress, I called upon the Lord. Now, I think a lot of times, right, we, sometimes we just wallow in our sins, right? In our distress, we get angry. In our distress, we uh, cry out against God. Why would you do this to me? Why would you allow this to happen? You know, uh, why do these wicked people that I see just seem to flourish? They got the job that I wanted, or they got the vehicle. You know, my car keeps breaking down, or my kids are always sick, but they seem to be fine. Whatever the issue is, right, we, why, why, why? Why are you doing this to me? Um, and, and that's not calling upon the Lord, 
right? In my distress, I call upon the Lord, right? I am crying out to God to help me, right? I'm not, I'm not accusing God of anything. I, to call upon him is crying out for his deliverance. Now, maybe you're like me when you do actually cry out to God, because sometimes it takes a little while. Uh, we don't always like the answers that he gives us, right? Sometimes it's wait, wait, wait and trust in me. Um, you know, knowing some of the things that families in our churches have gone through, right? I've heard a fair amount of, of stories of, of things that families have gone through or individuals have gone through. There's a lot of things that I would never want to wish upon anyone, right? Not, not even my worst enemy. Some of the stuff we went through as a family, I'm like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish this on anyone, right? I, th I think we could all agree that the, the most difficult sufferings that we've gone through individually, we wouldn't wish that upon anyone else. Um, but the thing is, when we go through those things and God shows himself faithful through his people, through his word, through whatever means he sees fit to uh, guide us through those storms, we're able to empathize when other people are going through those things. We're able to minister to people that are going through, through those things. Um, we're able to help them see that they're not alone, right? You're not the only one that's gone through this. I know the, the first miscarriage we went through when we let the church know, there was like, all these people that are like, hey, we went through that too. Like, we, we've been there. And it's like, man, I thought it was just us, right? You're just, in, in your mind, you're like, that's, that's just us. Um, and then there's other things, right? We don't have time for this stuff. But there's always things like that where people are always going through things, right? Um, chronic pain, uh, divorce, all, all kind of stuff, right? There's all kind of things that go on through life. And, and uh, you know, once someone's gone through it and they've either made, made it through or they're still suffering with it, when the next person goes through that, they're able to come alongside and be like, hey, I'm with you. Like, I get it. Like, this is how you feel, right? Yes, that's how I feel. Thank you. Thank you for that. Like, there, there's nothing like that, to be able to go through something and bear one another's burdens. That's why Galatians 6 tells us one of the reasons that we do this and we bear in one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ, right? We are showing Christ to one another as we bear these burdens together. It's such a beautiful thing to see God work through his people, right? We are the instruments in his hands, and, and it's us who must cry out in our distress so God will answer those cries, amen? So I ask you, right, in your distress, right, when you think about the last couple of things that have transpired in your life just recently, in the last week, month, year, do you call upon the Lord, or do you try to fix the problem on your own? Right? Is it a problem that you think, ah, this is minor enough to where I should just take care of it myself. I don't want to worry God with this thing. Right? Or I don't want to mention in the, in the prayer chains. Right? I, don't, I don't want people in my business. Right? Is, maybe that's, that's what it is. Um, right? We can come up with 101 excuses why we don't want to call upon the Lord in our times of distress. But no matter what the reason is, no matter what excuse you convince yourself is good enough to not call upon him in your distress, one thing remains true. God is dedicated to working out all things for our good and his glory. Amen? All things. Not some things, not most things, not 99.9% .9 of things. All things. All things for good and his glory. The scripture tells us, right, the, the promises of the Lord are yes and amen, right? If, if God promises it, he will see it come to pass. There's no 
if, ands, or buts about it. There's no clauses where God gives him a way out from having to answer that prayer, right? His promises are yes and amen. In David's distress, he called upon the Lord to his God, right? You are my God and, and I am your person. And God heard him, right? He heard his prayers. Now, I know we've seen this on bumper stickers, and I think it's KSBJ, but that phrase, God listens, right? You can see it so much that it kind of just, you know, you're like, yeah, it's, it becomes a, like, cliche type of thing. But I think we should really think about it, right? God listens, right? As we speak, right, as, uh, prayers are not falling on, on deaf ears when we cry out to God, right? Just because we pray the same prayer over and over again doesn't mean he's not listening every single time. I mean, how, how many of you have prayed the same prayer or for the same thing over and over again? I think all of us can agree that there was something that went on in our lives where we, we kept praying, kept praying to see God move in some way because something was going on. Um, and and what, does he, what does he tell us? He told Paul this, right? Paul pleaded with him, an apostle who had the, the ability to heal, right? He had a thorn in his flesh and was like, God, take this away from me. He pleaded with God three times. Right? He, he, went, he was called up to the third heaven, all these things that Paul had. And he, still a man, was asking for deliverance. And what did God tell him? My grace, the grace that I've given you, is sufficient. Right? My power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul says, I will boast all the more. Almost got through. Yeah, never. But yeah, he boasts all the more gladly because of that. To know God's grace is sufficient in your life, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. David knew that, and we need to know that today. God not only listens, but he acts, and we are blessed by it. Whatever his wise response is, right? Sometimes it's to wait. Sometimes it's, trust me, I've got something that I'm working out in, right? I, I you're, you're, hard, you're so hard-headed, it's taking a little while longer than it should, but God is working out all things for good and for his glory. Like I said, I, I get laser-focused on things, and, 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 you know, I've gone through the same things over and over again, and so then you get to a point where, like, you know, I don't need to bring this to the Lord. I know how this works out. I'm just going to do it that way, right, pragmatically kind of going through things, and it's like, nope, it's not going to work this time because it's not about a formula. It's about trust, right? I am your God and you are my people. Listen to me, wait upon me, and, and I'm working this out uh, for you. And, I, and this is what David did, right? This going back to David be a man after God's own heart, he sought the Lord for all his answers, right? We see this over and over. This is what we see repetitively. We see his sin, no doubt, over and over again through these passages, but he always sought the Lord, right? Da Saul, he went his own way. He did his own things, but David consistently went back to the Lord. He sought the Lord to get answers. Lord, what do you have for us now? And then he did it, right? Being a man after God's own heart, that's what, that's what he desired, right? We're not saying that David was some amazing man, but David recognized that he served an amazing God. So in closing, I entitled this message, Preservation of the Saints. Now, there's a doctrine known as the perseverance of the saints, and I've heard people say a better translation or a better understanding of that is perseverance, uh, preservation of the saints. But I think scripture is clear for both, right? The, the God's people will endure to the end, and God puts us through suffering to build up within us character and hope and perseverance, right? He does these things 
for us. And so both are true, right? We are persevering. We are clinging fast to God and trusting in him through this life. But it is also true that God's preserving hand is ultimately going to have the final say. And no one can snatch us out of his hand, right? I can do everything in my power to try to get a desired result. And it's still not come to pass the way that I want it, right? Or, or I can do everything in my power and fall short, right? I, I can try to trust God in different ways, but then my mind as a sheep, right, I, I tend to stray. I want to go into muscle memory and, and put myself in cruise control. Uh, and so, yes, I, I don't make a good Savior at all. I make a terrible Savior. Uh, but we serve a good Savior, a good shepherd, right, the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. Right? He is the one that has delivered us, and we are the ones that are dependent on him. And he is the one that is dedicated not only to our good, but he has consecrated us for his purposes. Right? He has set us apart for good works, and these good works are ultimately for our good and for his glory. Yeah, singing, singing these songs we sung this morning, I, it's, it's always comforting and, and convicting when we sing songs of God's praises, right? There's always the songs that talk about our sin, but like when we make much of who God is, it's like, it, there, you know, I don't know, for me it's something like, it's like you have this unworthiness, right? Like when I sing songs about my sin, I'm like, yeah, I'm filthy, ragged, you know, wretch, and I'm like, yeah, that's who I am. But like singing about this good God that we serve and Knowing my heart, right, and, and the selfishness that, that resides in there, that I'm warring against the flesh, right? The, the flesh is, uh, or the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak, right? Knowing that this is going on inside of me, uh, it, it, it really, that, that's where the conviction comes. Because as we mentioned in Wednesday night Bible study, from the same mouth that you sing praises of God, you, you curse man with, right? Like that's, that's where we are. And it's, it's, a, it's a weird tension, right, of... God saved me, but he's still working out all these sins that I've, you know, that, that he paid for ultimately, but I'm still going to commit these sins through this life. It's, <clears throat> it's, it's a weird dynamic. I, I can't say that I fully understand it, but when we sing of God's praises, there's this, like, beauty in that, right? And, and knowing that no matter what we go through, right, like, God is there. God is faithful. Uh, God is true. And, and we sing these songs of his goodness, and it's, it's a beautiful thing, and they're, they're constant reminders of his grace in our life. And that's what this, this chapter of Second uh, Samuel is. It's a song, right? God, or David was inspired to just break out into worship as he penned these words. There's 50-something verses here, and he, he can't stop writing about God's goodness and all the things that God has done for him. Uh, that, that's how beautiful seeing God for who he is and how he loves us. It's, it's just, I don't know, I'm, I feel like I'm at a loss for words right now. But what I want to do is close with some of the lyrics that we sung this morning uh, from the song Ancient of Days. This, I think, really encapsulates what I see in our passage and uh, what God has done for us and, and how he, is, he remains good and he preserves us to the end. It says this, this is the, like I said, the second verse of that song. It says, Though the dread of night overwhelms my soul, he is here with me. I am not alone. Oh, his love is sure, and he knows my name, for my God is the Ancient of Days. Let us pray.